Good morning. Our scripture passage this morning is from uh, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my, my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, so that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I I know you have noticed this, but when Jesus teaches, he uses pictures all the time. He's constantly using pictures. And frequently the pictures he uses are agricultural images. Right? So if Jesus was teaching in Canada... He probably would use an agricultural image about maple trees and maple syrup. He probably would, because there's something to be seen there. He could use it. If he was teaching in Indiana, what do you suppose he'd use? Corn (laughs) and the soil and rain. If he was teaching in Florida, probably citrus fruit, right? Oranges. And grapefruits and lemons. He would talk about grafting with those fruits and producing that fruit. And in this context, he speaks about vines. Vines which were everywhere. Vines which were integral to the culture and to the economy of ancient Israel. Jesus talked about vine and fruit. You know what else is interesting about that in terms of the context? 
The context that Jesus spoke into was part of their history. So when they heard Jesus begin to speak about vine and branches, immediately, in a Jewish context, they thought of the nation of Israel. Because the Old Testament had spoken about Israel as the vine of God all the way through. God was the gardener, and Israel was the vine, and Israel was producing fruit. So they heard that. There's something else that might have come to mind when they heard Jesus talk this way. They might have imagined in their mind the entrance to the holy place of the temple. Because there too, there was a gigantic picture of the importance of the vine and the fruit. There was enormous pillars on either side of the entrance to the holy place. And woven and around those pillars were gold images of vines, full of fruit. Matter of fact, if you were a wealthy person in ancient Israel, you would have contributed to a cluster of fruit on that vine that grew to the top of the holy place. Some writers tell us that some clusters of fruit, this shows you the size, were as tall as a man's head, six feet tall or more. And they contributed to it because it was so a much a part of their culture. We are the vine of God as Israel. Then he helps them to understand how that applies. He talks about the vines and how you care for them. As a matter of fact, vines grew prolifically. They had to be cultivated, but they grew prolifically in Israel. Young vines were not allowed to bear fruit for three years because the gardener wanted to focus on the vine itself. So he would pluck off the grapes to put all the nutrients into the vine itself. And the vine itself is wood. But the wood is useless for anything else than growing grapes. It's not good firewood. It's worthless. It's not hard. So when the vine is pruned... When portions of the vine are cut off by the gardener, they're just thrown in a massive fire, a bonfire, just to get rid of them. So they had this image in their mind, and they had an image of Israel in their mind. Now, enter the context with me for a moment. Jesus changes everything. He steps into that image, and he says this, Israel is no longer the vine of God. Why do I say he says that? Because he says, I am the vine. In other words, what he's saying is the whole history of Israel was about producing this moment that stands before you, the Messiah. Israel, you folks I'm talking to, you were only a vehicle for the Messiah of God, which is for all people. Today I'm telling you, my friends, I am the vine of God. Now we don't have anything in the narrative that says somebody said, what? But I bet somebody was thinking, what? Are you kidding me? You're turning everything upside down. You are claiming to be the vine of God? Yes, said Jesus, I'm the vine. 
You know what else is stunning about this to them, and still stunning to some people today who apparently haven't gotten over it? It's not about the land anymore. It's not about Israel and the land when it comes to prophecy even. It's about the coming of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. Go back and read the whole book of Revelation. And read it through this one lens. The revelation concerning Jesus Christ. It's not about land. It's not about geography. It's not about location. It's about the new Jerusalem. In the end of the book, the new Jerusalem. Not the current one. Coming down out of heaven, a city of God. Jesus is turning everything upside down. He's introducing images concerning the kingdom and himself that are revolutionary. It must have floored them. I am the vine of God. So second, after he drops this bombshell concerning himself, second he says, For those of you who want to be a part of the kingdom of God, which I assume is why you're here following me, because that's all I've been talking about for the last three years. If you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, let me tell tell you what this new life looks like and what it's all about. I'm introducing to you a new way of life, a new era. Now, again, let's remember the context, shall we? This is right before his crucifixion. This is right before... The Garden of Gethsemane, where he sweats great drops of blood under duress, looking towards the cross. And he says, God the Father, oh my God, can we get out of this? Is there any way to avoid this thing called the cross? I really don't want to go there. This is Jesus talking. Not Bob, it's Jesus. The very Son of God, the one who is fully human and fully divine, is struggling with his own mission. That's what's about to face him. You know what's about to face the disciples when he says these words? What's about to face the disciple, disciples is the whole world's going to turn upside down. The one they thought was Messiah who was going to bring in the new kingdom, the new age with all kinds of fury and flame and take over the world. That Messiah was going to die and he was going to die the most ridiculously criminal death on a cross and he was going to be buried dead as a doorknob. In a tomb. That's what they're about to face. You know what else they're about to face? They're about to face their own sinfulness. Because all of them said, we're going to stay with you to the end. And every one of them left. The worst of it was Peter when he said, I don't even know who that guy is. That's what's about to face them, okay? And in that context, Jesus says to them, I want you to hear something and hang on to it. Whatever's coming, I want you to know that I am the vine. And I want you to know that it is in me that you have life. So hang on for dear life. The future will be rocky, but your life is in me. You want to be a part of this future kingdom of God? Stay in the vine. There's going to be some difficult pruning ahead, which is painful. 
I, I wonder if Jesus was thinking about Judas, maybe. Somebody who had been with him for three years. Somebody who was going to betray them and betray him. Someone who looked like for three years they were very attached to the vine. Jesus said there's some branches that are going to be lopped off. And it's going to be painful, but it's for the purpose of the kingdom. Stay in the vine. Don't be one of those branches. There's something else he says. In the midst of all this, he says, I want you to know something. The whole purpose of being in the vine is so that you might have joy. They don't really know what's coming, but they're going to find out. Jesus, in effect, is saying, I want you to find joy in living in me. In the midst of everything, you will find joy by following and living in me, the vine of God. The life of a disciple, in effect, Jesus is saying, is not drudgery. It's pure joy. Why is it pure joy even in the midst of the heartache and the trials and the tribulations and even the death? Why is it pure joy? Because your whole viewpoint has been reoriented. Everything about your life has been redefined and you lift your eyes above the circumstances and you realize that because you're in the vine, you have eternal life and nothing can kill eternal life. Not any trial, not even death itself can in any way quench the eternal life of God in you. I want you, said Jesus, to abide in me so much that you can look at your circumstances and find exceeding joy in the midst of everything because you realize this is not the end of the story. That's why your joy can be complete. Jesus also said in this chapter, there's so much more to say, but he said in this chapter, in the process of this being in the vine, I want to tell you something that's really important. Love one another. Love one another. Why, why do you need to love one another? Because when you love one another in the body of Christ, you're loving me. I want you to love one another deeply and be committed to one another completely. That's life in the vine. And I want you to know something else. I love you. There is no greater demonstration of love than if someone were to lay down his life for his friend. I love you so much. I'm going to die for you. That's the new way of life for you. Live it. Now when you listen to that description of Jesus' conversation with his disciples, always like me, you want to ask the question about yourself, right? Where am I in this picture? Or put it another way, what is the key to life for me? Just three things. First is to recognize your dependency. Jesus said, apart from me, you can't do squat. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Apart from me, you have no life. Now I ask you, is there anything, anything, I can't think of it, that is more un-American than that statement? You are nothing. You've got nothing. You're going nowhere unless you find your life in me. You can't win a political election that way, I'll tell you that. Don't hear that rhetoric. Apart from me, you're nothing, says Jesus. You're utterly dependent upon me, the vine. We're utterly dependent upon God for every breath we breathe. We're not self-sufficient beings. And in order to have true life, we must be linked with the vine. So that's recognizing your dependency. That's a way of life in the kingdom of God. The second is to embrace your interdependence with one another. Embrace your interdependence with one another. You are called to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And when you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, two things happen. You are shaped by them and you're a witness to the world. Those two things are utterly consistent in Jesus' teachings. When you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're shaped by them in Christian community and you're a witness to the world. Let me put it another way, my friends. I need you to annoy me to the point of absolute distraction. I need you to be my goad. I need you to irritate me so much that I want you to go away. I need all of that in order to be shaped as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I need to be right next to you, clinging to the vine so tightly for life that I'm clumped together like clumps of a grape rubbing right up against you all the time. I've got to have you, and you've got to have me. Uh, Some time ago, I was invited uh, to speak over at Crew. Some of you are part of Crew, and maybe some of you were there, and it was the topic was, why is the church so important, or something like that. And it's like, I can't believe they asked me to talk about this because that's exactly what I want to talk about, right? I mean, there could have been a lot of other topics. I was like, are you serious? You're going to let me talk about this? And among other things, I basically said, your stage of life is strange. It's about four years long, and you're never going to exist in this bubble again, ever. Everything's going to change. And crew is wonderful, and navigators, and whoever else is incredibly important to your spiritual development. But I want to tell you something else. That's not the end of the sentence. In order to find true life in Christ, you've got to be connected to the larger body of Christ. And my counsel was, make sure you're a part of a church. Um... So there's children here. I, I actually got really verbose, and I said, the church is going to annoy the H out of you. And I said it. 
Well, of course, it got a response. And I said, it's really important to have the H annoyed out of you. Because there's a lot of H in you. It's called sin. In the context of Christian community, you're going to be annoyed so much that if you stay with it, like a nasty pus that's coming out of your body for the purpose of healing, sin will emerge and it will be healing in the context of the body of Christ. So students, you're about ready to leave, you're junior or senior, my plea to you is to leave this place to your vocation in whatever part of the world and commit yourself to a body of Jesus Christ. Give yourself a couple of weeks, maybe a month or more, to find that place. But once you've found it, don't leave it. There's always something better. There's always something more cool. But that's not what you're called to do. You're called to be a part of a body of Christ. So, this is the bane of our existence, my friends, at this church. People coming and going. They come and they go. They come and they go. They come and they go. And you know what I wish I could do? I wish when you came in the back door I could nail your feet to the ground. So you couldn't leave. Not because we're the best church in town, but because we are an extension of the body of Christ and you need your feet nailed to the ground somewhere. Because it's in the context of the body of Christ that you will be shaped and you will be a witness. Not on your own. In the context of the body of Christ. So I appeal to you, stay in the vine, the body of Christ. So first you embrace your dependence, acknowledge it, you embrace your interdependence, and you acknowledge the importance of the church. And then the final thing is, somebody went really long on an announcement, didn't me, give me much time to preach. Um, <laughs> The final thing is, let your love be the source of your obedience. <laughs> you know, think about the image for a minute. Can you imagine one grape saying to another grape on the vine, I am going to work so hard, I am going to be the best grape there is. Grapes don't do that. They just hang on the vine. Yeah, I know all about the spiritual disciplines and the importance. We're doing it in the men's 12.2 and it's great. But you know what? There's another part of this message. The other part of the message that Jesus says, just love me. Just love my body of Christ in the world. Just love it. Invest in it. Love it with all your heart. And out of that love will flow your obedience. You're not making yourself better. You're not becoming more perfect because you're doing things. You're becoming what God has called you to do by living in the vine, by loving Jesus Christ, by loving his people. Then you will be the best grape you could be.
And you know what's so great about that? You don't get any credit for it. <laughs> because we don't need it. We just need to love God, to love others, to stay in the vine, and let God shape us into the fruit that he can make us. Let's pray. Lord, your teachings are remarkable. Um, We don't really have to live in the first century to understand them. We can just think about the images that you gave us, the pictures all over Scripture about what you are trying to teach us, and we realize the profoundness of those, those pictures. And we thank you for this picture today. Lord, help us to see ourselves that way. Clusters of grapes right beside one another in friction, in love, and delighted to draw our sustenance from the vine itself, which is Jesus Christ. And in this world, the extended body of Jesus Christ, the representative, the presence of Christ, your church. Uh, May we, in friction with one another, uh, learn to love deeply. And we pray that you will change us and transform us in the middle of Christian community and that you will make our light shine to the world. We thank you for grace, Lord. We thank you for your love. May we love you well. In Christ's name, amen.